someone once said, due to Jesus' atoning death on the cross of Calvary, sin was nullified. The sinner was justified. The law was satisfied, and God was glorified. Now, when we encompass all of that, it may, it may take a little while to really understand what that truly means. But if there's one portion in the Holy Scriptures that, could, that we could read and gain an understanding of this quote, we'd find it in the letter of Paul, the letter that he wrote to the Roman church. This letter is considered by many to be Paul's systematic theology of the Bible. However, in this letter, we'll find that there's more than just theology. What we'll find is Paul shares not only theology, but he shares practicality to his theology. Paul presents the gospel as more than facts about the life and death of Jesus Christ. He presents it as being more than just facts about the life and death of Jesus Christ that we should believe. He also shares in here, in this letter, that, that the gospel is to be a life in which we live. That just knowing about the death and resurrection of Jesus isn't enough. But we should live our lives in a way to where we demonstrate the death of, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in our lives. Martin Luther wrote this. He said, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Romans and nothing stood in the way but one expression. The righteousness of God. This stood in the way because I took it to mean that righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Therefore upon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God that filled me with hate, now it became to me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. This is what the great scholar, Martin Luther, the father of the Protestant Revolution, Reformation, Protestant Reformation, this is what he said about the book of Romans. He was so entrenched in the Catholic, the Roman Catholic way of life that he, when he began looking around and saw how flawed the priests were, saw how flawed the men and women of the Catholic Church were, he began seeking God because he knew according to how it was taught in the Roman Catholic Church that, though, that the righteousness of God would be upon the head of each and every one. But as he sought God's truth, he found that it comes by the grace of God through faith in his son, 
that we can be made righteous. When we look in this passage, we begin to see some of this. We begin to see what justification actually means. We begin to see what it is to be righteous. And to be righteous or being made righteous by God is to become justified. The Bible says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into his grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, that we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in the hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you and we praise you for your word. We praise you for its truth and we praise you for its transformation power. That God, it can transform us from being sinners to being saints. The word God, when we stand before you guilty, you see us through the righteousness of your son. Thank you, God, for loving us in spite of who we are and taking care of us. Now, God, help us to preach your word with grace. Help us to preach with love. And God, we pray that as we do, that you would move and minister in the lives of each and every one. That if there's here someone here today who doesn't know you for the forgiveness of their sin, that God, today, that they would cry out unto you. And God, we know that your faith You're faithful and you're just to forgive them of their sins and cleanse them unto all righteousness. So now, God, have your way, and we'll praise you for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we can really grab hold of the benefits to justification, we first must understand what it actually means for us to be justified. To be justified is to be counted righteous. It means to to have our our sin account accredited as righteous. So those of us who are justified, when we stand before the Lord guilty of our sin, and I want to tell you, we're going to stand before him guilty of our sin. We're going to stand before him just the way we are. We're going to stand before him as sinners in need of a Savior. But when we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we stand before the Lord in all our unrighteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been accredited to us, to our sin account, and God no longer sees our unrighteousness, but he sees the righteousness of his Son. That is what it means to be justified. That though guilty, he sees us through the righteousness of his son. Now, as we come to understand this, the very next question that, we, that will flood our minds is that why is justification necessary? Well, I want to share this with us briefly that 
that it's necessary because our sin has separated us from a holy and righteous God. Our rebellion is a product of our lust of our eyes, the lust of our flesh, the lust of or the pride of life. In other words, it's us wanting to take matters into our own hands. It's us, it's us wanting to take our life, our very lives and control it ourselves. And, and this makes us an enemy of God. While God is gracious and he is merciful, he is just. And our sin and our rebellion arouses anger and the wrath of God. Now when we have the audacity to push God aside and to have no desire for him or to make him the center of our lives, we are an enemy of God. And at the very point that we come to understand that we're standing in opposition to God, we're talking about standing in opposition to the God of glory, the God who spoke this world into existence. When we see that that's where we are, we actually stand in need of a relationship with him. We stand in need of being restored or being justified by God. And that can only come through faith. In Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. He can't come any other way. So for these next few moments, I want to share with you, as you now understand what it means to be justified, and you understand why it's important for us to be justified. Now I want to share with you three benefits to being justified by God. You know, we are people today, we want to know what how it's going to benefit us. We want to know how, if I, get, if I take this job, what, how is this job going to benefit me? Is it going to pay me enough money to make my bills? Is it going to give me some source to put money aside so that, that when I get ready to retire, if I happen to live that long, that, that I'll have money coming in? Does it provide dental insurance? Does it provide medical insurance? Does it provide all of these things? We, we're looking for benefits more today than anything else. We're looking to see how does living benefit me? Well, I want to share how being justified by God benefits us. First, what we find in this passage is that being justified by God gives us peace with God. And so what does it mean to have peace with God? Well, having peace with God does not mean that we can escape the realities of this world. It doesn't mean that we're going to go off somewhere and, and everything's going to be done away with and we're going to be able to just bask in all the beauty of nature and, and never have a care in the world. That does not... That is not what God means here about having peace with God. It doesn't mean that we're free of trouble. It doesn't mean that we're free of problems. But what having peace with God is, is having an experience with God that results in us knowing that we have a relationship with God. When we don't have a relationship with God, we are bothered. We are guilty. We are troubled. We are uneasy. But when we know that we have a relationship with him, when we know that we know that we know that he is our savior, we have peace. It's knowing that we've been reconciled to God and we are no longer separated from him. It's knowing that we are free from the wrath and the judgment of God. It's knowing that our lives now is pleasing unto God. Warren Wiersbe in his Bible exposition commentary stated this. 
When we give our hearts to Christ and salvation, we experience peace with God. But the peace of God takes us a step further into God's blessings. This does not mean that we're absent of trials on the outside, but it does mean a quiet confidence within, regardless of our circumstances, people, or things. Regardless of what anyone says, this peace does not come by a positive thinking. You can't find it in self-help books. The peace, this peace does not come by willpower. You are not strong enough to have this kind of peace. This peace does not come by living a high moral standard. You can earn this peace this peace does not come from the world but this peace comes only when we exercise faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary this peace comes by faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior for it was Jesus who even said in John 14 and 27 peace I leave with you my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you so let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Oh, there's benefits to being justified by God. And one clear benefit of justification is that we have peace with God. Another benefit we see in this passage is justification gives us access to the grace of God. Grace can simply mean God's riches at Christ's expense. To receive grace is to receive God's unmerited and undeserved favor. Our faith in Jesus Christ gives us access to his grace. Folks, it's, it's, it's by and through our faith in Jesus Christ that we are granted access to God's favor. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's favor, and access to God's favor is gifted to us. When we, by faith, receive Jesus Christ as our personal savior, to have this access, it allows us to come into the presence of God. To have this access allows us to, to stand on the promises of God. And we remember the occasion when God called Jonah to go to Nineveh to, to warn them about their wickedness and how it had come before him. God had every right to destroy this city and, and all of those who uh, in it that, without even warning them that he was going to destroy them. These Assyrians, they were so wicked and brutal that the tree of their captivities was worse than inhumane. As a matter of fact, history tells us that some of the victims would have their tongues wrenched out by the roots. Other victims would, would be stretched out and tied up and filleted. The their skins would be stretched out upon the city walls to terrify people. Pyramids of human heads marked the path of the conqueror. Boys and girls were burnt alive or they were reserved for even a worse fate than that. Men were blinded and deprived of their hands, feet, and their ears and noses, while some women and children were carried into slavery. This, they, the captured city that they would conquer, it would be plundered and reduced to ashes, and the trees of the neighborhood would be cut down. A place filled with such brutality, we would think like Jonah, that God should just destroy them. But God sent Jonah there to call them to repentance. God still offered to give, the, give this heathen nation access to his grace in the greatest revival of history the people of the city believed God and they he had stated his grace to them you may be here today you may be thinking that 
that you don't deserve God's grace. I want to assure you today that you don't deserve his grace. I want to assure you there's nobody walking the face of the earth that deserves God's grace. As a matter of fact, I want us to understand if we're left to ourselves, all we would be would be a heathen nation just like Nineveh. But through though God would be well in his right to destroy us, instead he offers us access to his grace. In 2 Peter 3 and 9, Peter reminds us the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you haven't gone too far that God won't extend grace to you. If, As a matter of fact, he wants to give you access to his grace, but his access will never be granted to you without you receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yes, there's benefits to being justified. There's benefits to God's justification. Two clear benefits of his justification is that we have peace with God and we have access to the grace of God. But there is another benefit I want to mention. And it's that justification gives us access to hope in God. Our hope in God is is hope for the glory of God. Now this hope has nothing to do with desire. It has nothing to do with wants or wishful thinking. Instead, it's all about assurance. It's having absolute confidence. Our hope is based on the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. But our hope is for the glory of God. What this simply means is that the benefit of being justified is that we are assured that we're, there's coming a day when we would dwell in this perfect splendor that we know as the majesty of heaven. <laughs> we have assurance that because we've received Jesus Christ by faith, that there's a better place than this right here. There's a better day coming. I don't know what trouble you're in right now. I don't know what trouble you've just come out of. And I don't know what trouble you're heading into. You're in one of those three places right now. If it's been peaceful for a while, just just hold on. Trouble's coming. If if you've been wearied for a while, hold on. The day the word God is going to shine his sun upon you is coming. And if if you're right now coming out of the trouble, you can see the glory of God. Just praise his name because he's been with you through it all Revelation 21 describes for us a place where he makes all things new and we have a hope for the glory of God to be in this place in all glory and to experience it for ourselves to know that this is our future and how how can we fall 
so short of rejoicing in the hope that he's given us. But we know this is what we have to look forward to. How is it that we let the cares of this world that is passing by, that is going to end one day, consume us and take our minds off the glory that he's promised us? Too often we'll complain about things when they don't go our way. Instead, our focus should be on the hope for the glory of God. Because of our hope for his glory, we can glory in our trials and sufferings. It's right here in the passage. No, we don't wish for them to come upon us. But when they do, we shouldn't walk around defeated. Instead, when we put things in their proper perspective, then we can know that God is in control. And just as he brought good from the trials and sufferings of his very own son, Jesus Christ, he'll bring good from the trials and sufferings of his church, of his bride, of his children. He loves us and he's going to bring good out of all the struggles that we face. For it's in our trials we learn to persevere. It's in our trials that as we learn to persevere, we develop character. And as we develop character, we have our hope grows. And, and, and as our hope grows, we find that it's for our good and it's for his glory. As a matter of fact, Romans 8 and 28 tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. We can't see it. We can't visually look at it. We can't even tell that it's there, but God has fixed it. So whatever we go through in this life, it's not only for our good, but it's for his glory. One day, we're going to get to see him in all his glory. We may not never understand it here on earth, but one day he's going to reveal it to us. I'm not sure just how much you see this in the life of Joseph. I remember, and we all should remember that Joseph was the son of Jacob. And he was the son, he was the son of Jacob's favorite wife. He was actually Jacob's favorite son. And Jacob shared no expense in showing to all his brothers that he was the favorite. As a matter of fact, he presented him in front of his brothers a coat of many colors. As a matter of fact, if we read about Joseph's life, we find that while his brothers were out working in the fields, Joseph was in the house. While his brothers were doing all the work that daddy needed done, Joseph got to stay and, and sit right there by daddy and do nothing. And, and with that coat on, and I don't know how cold or how hot it was, his daddy said, son, go see what your brothers are up to and come back and report to me. You talk about dysfunctional? Don't you, don't you complain? Don't you gripe? Don't you be defeated because your family is dysfunctional? Every family we find in the scriptures is been dysfunctional. Jesus' own brothers didn't believe he was the son of God until they come to, to, for it to be revealed to them. Yes, there ain't a family in this world. I don't care how many masks they put on. I don't care how, how much things look to be good in their lives, but every family is dysfunctional in some way, shape, or form. Don't let it defeat you. Know that God is still in control. 
Yeah, Joseph's dad sends him out to his brothers. Can you imagine his brothers as they're looking as Joseph is coming toward them and there he is with that coat on? We know the coat's on. How do we know that? Because they ran it. They tear it off of him. They threw him in a pit and they pour blood all over this coat so they could carry it back to their father and say, an animal devoured your son. We know how the story of Joseph goes. Here he is spitting in his brother's faces and they're not taking it no more. They throw him in this pit. You know, Joseph had even told his brothers, you know, you're going to bow down before me one day. (laughs) Can you imagine the arrogance, the cockiness, the audacity he has to look at his older brothers and say, you're going to bow down before me. And at the same time, daddy keeps him in the house while everybody else is out in the field. I understand that there are some people who can't be in the house, that they have to be outside doing something. God bless your hearts. <laughs> but there's nothing in Scripture that, that says that this is the type of character or personality traits that these boys had. All we know is they despise their brother. A lot of it because of their daddy's doing. Well, we know how the story goes. They sell, they sell Joseph. Joseph becomes a, a, a servant of Potiphar. And he is made second in command in Potiphar's house. The only thing he doesn't have access to is Potiphar's wife. And then Mrs. Potiphar. She decided she wanted Joseph, where Joseph had enough dignity to where he would not touch her and when he ran away from her she grabbed hold of his scarf and and as it lay there in her room and she called servants in to say this man has raped me and they put Joseph in prison and for 20 years he stays in prison it wasn't until some butler who comes out and he and and, and he tells the the the, the pharaoh he said look you, you have a dream right now that no one can interpret, but there's one in prison that can ter- interpret that dream. And when he, when he interpreted the dream, he was brought out. And, and here he now, he's second in command in all of Egypt. I want to tell you, for all practical purpose, he was second in command in all the world. But Joseph had everything, everything in its proper perspective. You know, Joseph knew there was a famine coming and he prepared for it and he saw his brothers one day as they came in to get grain because so they could go back so that they wouldn't die. And Joseph, as he gave, gave them this grain, he talked with them harshly and he, 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 he spoke to them in an Egyptian language. He looked like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian, talked like one, and, and he played a game with them. And you remember the story? He played a game with them, leaving, making them leave one brother there in Egypt while they went to get their baby brother. Joseph's only full-blood brother he wanted to see that little boy and when when they brought him back he played another game with them so that their father would come so that they would bring the whole family to Egypt he wanted to bring them to Egypt so that he could spare their lives when his father revealed who he was his father come back and 70 of Israel came back to Egypt they began to reside in Goshen and they were there prospering and then his brothers looked at him and, and wanted to apologize for what they had done more than 20 years prior and Joseph stops him he stops him because everything's in the proper perspective he stops them and says look I know what you've done let's not relive this he said you meant it for evil but God meant it for good 
Oh, but God. Oh, aren't you glad of that, that little phrase, but God? The world comes against us, but God. The world says we're nothing, but God. The world says that you're trash and you will never be anything, but God says that we're a child of the king and heir to his throne. Listen, I want to tell you this. Joseph had everything in such proper perspective that that he could have told Pharaoh what his brothers had done, but he didn't. He didn't want Pharaoh to want to kill his brothers. He could have rehashed everything to his brothers, but he didn't want them to feel guilty any longer. He could have told his father what his brothers done, but he wanted his father's last days to be in peace. He He could have went as far as he could have held it against his brothers, but he wanted to be at peace with his brothers and there are things that you and I will hold against our flesh and blood and we'll go and tell our neighbor hoping our neighbor will will, will have an all against our brother or sister along with us we'll do that in the house of God we'll do that we'll do that within our best friends and on our jobs but I want to tell you if we put everything in its proper perspective we'll know that we have hope we'll know that we have grace we'll know that we have peace that only comes from God This hope that he had, he could have held everything against his brothers, but he never brings it back up to them. As a matter of fact, you won't find anywhere in the scriptures where he tells anybody, even in prison, what his brother's done. He never tells Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, can you imagine? He's the number two guy in the world. And if his brothers would have showed up as soon as the Pharaoh thought that they were there to do harm, he would have killed every one of them. But he never breathed it to Pharaoh. Because he had everything in his proper perspective. He saw where God had brought him from. And his hope was in where God was going to carry him to. This hope, this hope, it does not disappoint. We know this because when God's love is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God, who God has given us, is evidenced by genuine faith in Jesus Christ. This genuine faith matures as we grow in our understanding of what justification and our salvation truly means. As this happens, we grow in our intimate relationship with God. And we grow in peace, grace, and hope for the glory in God. We hope you've enjoyed the message today. And if you happen to not have a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It's as simple as the ABCs. If you would admit that you are a sinner and that you are in need of a Savior and believe that God sent His very Son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth to be the sacrifice for our sins and that He died for our sins and He arose on the third day. And then if you would confess Him as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved. You must believe this with all your heart, and you must be willing to serve Him. If you are, all you have to do is talk with Jesus. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a church to get saved. But if you get saved, find yourself a Bible-believing church, and I believe God will richly bless you.